Well, good morning, White Oak. Man, I've loved these Cannonball updates. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name's Kevin. I'm the campus pastor at Coleraine, and uh, we, my wife and I just uh, have been jumping into this uh, since April. And so every month when we kind of do one of these uh, revisits and, and highlights, it kind of just walks us through the journey that uh, White Oak as a whole has been on, which has been really exciting just to see. And, uh, and Kay is going to be up on stage next week and uh, sharing a little bit about her story and what's going on uh, as we jump into a new series next week. So I'm excited for that as well. But it's just really exciting to see, especially here for Ross, uh, what Cannonball means and, and what it's going to mean for the future. So appreciate that so much. Um, like I said, my name's Kevin, and uh, over the last uh, month, we've been doing this series uh, called My Big Fat Mouth. And uh, everybody who's probably been on this platform has talked about just uh, what that means and that we all kind of say stupid things. But I get reminded daily that uh, from my wife that I kind of wear the crown when it comes to big fat mouth or stupid things we say. And so uh, she's kind of uh, assured me that... Uh, that I say some of the stupid things. And, and some of it is I've kind of put it into two categories. So problem number one is I don't have a filter. And so I just say whatever I think, and that tends to get me in trouble. Do we have anybody out there that's a no filter person? You, got to, you have no filter and you just say whatever you're thinking. Maybe we've got a few. My other problem is, is I think I'm funny when I'm not. All right, So I think I'm funnier than I am. So I'll say something that I think is funny, but I'll turn around and find out that it was not funny. It was hurtful or rude. or um, And so I just call that being a jerk. All right. So that's kind of uh, what I have. Um, a perfect example is that is that I was working at White Oak uh, maybe like two weeks. And we were in a meeting. And uh, we were walking out of the meeting. And I said something just kind of off the cuff that I thought was funny. But Aaron Pfizer, I don't know if you guys know who Aaron is, but Aaron is Rick's admin, uh, but I made her cry, all right? And so, um, welcome to White Oak, right? And, uh, and so, um, that just wasn't really, I remember calling my wife, like, hey, I just made Aaron cry. And she was like, what did you say? And I was like, Aaron was having a bad day. It really wasn't my fault, but uh, uh, anyway, um, we all, you know, I, I know I'm not alone. I, I, gotta, I gotta believe this, that I'm not alone, that, uh, that we all, end up saying things that we regret. We all end up, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where it's just like you just wish you could reach out and grab those words and grab them back, but they're out and we set them and uh, we all struggle with our mouth. Um, James, who wrote a letter to the New Testament and to the early church, he just, in his book, it's filled with all these practical things and all this advice. And uh, in James chapter 3, we've kind of been using that as like our kind of main text to kind of talk about this series. And I just want you to hear what he says. James chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. He says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Uh, here James reminds us, he says, look, throughout mankind, he said, we, we're doing all these amazing things. We're taming all these wild beasts, he says, but no one can get control of the tongue. He says, no one can tame their mouth or their speech. 
And then he talks about this idea. He says, look, out of the same place, out of the same mouth, comes both praise and cursing. He says, with your mouth, you, you lift up these worship songs like we were singing earlier today. He says, and then with it, you use it to curse your brothers and sisters. He says, this is not the way God intended it to be. We're reminded that when it comes to the things that we say, when it comes to our speech, we fail. Now, through this series, we've been kind of focusing on some words or some ideas, that some things that we might say that, that God wouldn't be really fond of, all right? And so um, we talk about some things or some ideas that we try to avoid. And so today, as we kind of talk about uh, our word or our, our idea that, uh, that really isn't something that should come out of our mouth, the word that we want to look at today is the word can't. Now, I want to preface this. Some of you out there are overburdened, and you're just overscheduled, and you got so much going on. And so when we talk about the word can't, we're not really talking about this idea that somebody calls you and asks you if you can come to a birthday party, or asks you if you want to take on another job, or if you want to volunteer for something, and you look at your schedule, and you're just like, man, I can't do another thing. This isn't a scheduling conflict can't. Because some of you need to learn how to say no. Some of you need the ability and the freedom to be able to say, you know what, I can't do this at this point in time. This isn't what we're talking about. Today, what we really want to focus on, what we really want to look at, is this idea that there's a dream that you've got going on in your life. Uh, There's a calling, maybe, that God has put on your heart. And you have a fear. You have the disbelief that you can do it. You've got... You know, just this thing going on where you don't believe that you're good enough for what it is that God has called you to. And the word that comes out of our mouth so often is, can't. And so what we really want to focus on today, what we really want to talk about is this idea that we can. This idea that if God has called us to something, that we can do it. A few weeks ago when we were in our series four, we talked about the idea that we were for building dreams. See, I believe that God is putting dreams on each and every one of our hearts. I believe that God is calling us to be able to do things for the kingdom. And when he calls us to do these things, sometimes these calls are met with fear. Sometimes they're, they're met with just this idea, this thought that we don't have what it takes. We haven't been equipped. We can't do it. And we want to be challenged today to be reminded that we can. Now, there's a couple different ways that we can experience this call. There's a a general call, and what I mean by that is there's some things that we've all been called to do. One of them that comes to mind is that we all, as Christians, as believers in Jesus, have been called to share the good news of the gospel with other people. That's something that's really clear in Scripture. We, we find it all over the place that, that God wants us to be able to share about His Son Jesus with the rest of the world. I love what uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says. There's a, there's a phrase in there that I want to share with you. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. In this passage, in this little excerpt, Peter's talking and he says, look, I want you to live a life in such a way that people ask you about this hope that you have. So, so Peter's kind of taken uh, this 
thing that, that our life, and he's saying, you know what, you're going to live in such a way, people are going to see your life, and they're going to see hope in it. And then he says this, he says, I want you to always be prepared to give an answer. I want you to always be willing to tell people about who Jesus is and about where your hope comes from. But so many of us, uh, when we think about talking to other people about Jesus, when we think about sharing Jesus with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends, with complete strangers, we say, I can't. Uh, We say, that's not for me. I I can't do that. I don't know enough. Uh, They wouldn't want to listen to me. I don't know what to say. Uh, They know my life and what I do. And so we, we believe, we buy into this lie that we can't. A few weeks ago, Kate and I, with our girls, went to Guatemala. So, so I've got four kids, Mackenzie, Olivia, Carter, and Jack. And so my two oldest girls, Mackenzie and Olivia, are 15 and 13. And my wife, Katie, and I, and we went to Guatemala on a mission trip with about 10 other people. And so while we were in Guatemala, the number one thing that we were going to be focused on, what we were going to be doing, is that we were going to be coming alongside this church in Guatemala, near Guatemala City, and we were going to be helping them with this evangelistic effort that they had. Now, there was a church that was going to come and join us from Honduras, and Antonio was the leader of this group from Honduras. And so he was going to be doing some training with us, and he was going to be helping us to put on this evangelistic effort. Antonio talked with us, and he was sharing, and he said that in his heart, the the call that God had placed on his heart was that he wanted to bring back, he wanted to revitalize this idea of going through the streets and going door-to-door and sharing with people the good news, basically just knocking on doors. But everyone he talked to, whether it was Americans where he did his schooling or whether it was back home in Honduras, everyone that he worked with told him it can't be done. You can't go door-to-door anymore. You you can't do it this way. This is an ineffective way of sharing the gospel. But God was calling him to do it, and he wanted to try it. And he said that back home he had been doing it and had some success, and so he wanted to bring this to Guatemala and and see if we'd be willing to try it as well. And so we went through some training, and we, we did some different things, and then we went out into the streets, we, began, we broke up into these different groups and we began to go house to house asking people if they'd like to learn more about Jesus, asking people if there was things that we could pray with them about. And it worked. It, it worked in the sense that we had people who we were able to pray with. We had people who wanted to come back and visit church with us. We had people who wanted to find out more about Jesus. Sure, we had people who closed the door on our face. We had people who were not really interested in talking to us. But we we had some success. And I'll never forget one of the things, as we were talking about success and as we were kind of sharing just our experiences with one another, Antonio said this. He says, here in in America and even in Honduras and in Guatemala, he says, "We, we measure our success by the results. By what happens. Like if somebody closes the door on our face, that's a failure. If somebody wants to have us pray for them or if they want to come back to church, he says that's a success. That, that's how we, you know, I mean, most of us, that's how we, we rule or kind of um, measure success. But he said this, he says, our success is measured in our obedience. See, Antonio believed that we were successful 
just by going. No matter what happened, no matter, no matter what the result was, no matter what um, the person's response was, Antonio was trying to get into our mind that we were successful simply by standing up and saying, I will go and do what you've called me to do, God. And it was so powerful for me uh, to have my kind of mind shift to say, you know what, I'm successful just by being obedient and following in the call that God has put on my heart. You know, in America, we would have believed the exact same thing. We would have believed that this is ineffective. This isn't the way that, uh, that you go about doing evangelism. But the thing that our team, as we kind of talked and shared and prayed through the experiences that we had, the thing that we kind of took away and said, you know, this is what we want to bring back with us, was this idea to stop operating out of fear. To, to believe that we can accomplish something that God has called us to as we considered what it is that we're called to, sharing our faith is an example of a general call. I also believe that there are specific calls that are on our life, things that you're called to do that maybe not everybody can do, things that maybe God's putting on your heart that he's only putting on your heart. When Paul writes about the church in the New Testament, he talks about the church in reference to a body that has many different parts, hands and head and eyes and ears and feet, and each part of the body has a different role or responsibility or gift. It's important for us to realize and recognize what our role is, what our part is, what our, what our giftedness is. But so often, we can recognize, we can see and know that we have the job of an ear, but we don't believe that we're good enough to do the work of an ear, or that we are the we have the giftedness of a hand, but we don't believe that we have what it takes to really do the work of a hand, and we're not alone. The, the The Bible's filled with people that God calls to do things, who do not believe that they can do the thing that God has called them to do. Today, we want to take a look at the life of an individual who who God called to do something, and they didn't believe that they could do what it was that God asked them to do. We want to take a look at the life of a guy named Moses. Now, for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he lived in a place of strength as a member of Pharaoh's household. He had prestige and wealth, and he had his strength because he was young. At a certain point in his life, he became aware that his home people, the, the nation of Israel, were being oppressed by the Egyptians. And there was an Egyptian guard that he took his kind of wrath out on, and, uh, and he ended up killing this guy because of how he was treating the, the Israelite slaves. This was not God's plan for how Israel would be freed. And so Moses has to go into hiding. He has to run away. And so for the next 40 years, Moses spends his life in a town called Midian as a shepherd, just living this kind of um, non-existent life. And so God shows up and meets him at a burning bush. And at this burning bush, God puts a call on Moses' life that he wants Moses to be his spokesman, that he wants Moses to be the megaphone, the mouthpiece for God, and go to Pharaoh and free his people. This is what God says to Moses. He says, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have 
also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now this call scared Moses to death. He didn't believe that he could do it. He was face to face with God. God was telling him that he wanted him to do something. And Moses didn't believe that he was up to the challenge. So Moses, uh, through scripture, has some objections that he that he puts out to God, and we're going to look at four of them. Objection one, he says, I'm a nobody, God. Look, he, said, he says, I'm no one. He says, it's been so long since I've lived in the palace, nobody's going to want to listen to me. In Exodus 3.11, he says this, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He says, I don't have any status. I don't have any clout. Nobody's going to want to listen to me. He says, I'm a shepherd. And everyone knows that if you're an Egyptian, you look down on shepherds. He says, no one's going to listen to me because I'm a nobody. Objection overruled, God said. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, God says, I will be with you. This call is not based on your credibility, but on mine. How often do we feel like that we're nobody? That we don't have the notoriety, that we don't have the fame, that we don't have the credibility to be able to deliver the message that we need or to do the thing that God's called us to do because we're focused on ourselves not on the one who sent us. God is trying to tell Moses, look, it's not about you. It's about me. Objection number two. They're not going to believe me, God. Basically what Moses is saying is they're going to think I'm crazy. Look, I believe you, God, because you're here in front of me and I can hear you speaking out of this burning bush. I believe that you're the creator of the universe. But nobody's going to believe that you sent me. Nobody's going to believe that I speak on behalf of you. They're not going to believe me. Exodus 4.1, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. They're going to think I'm crazy. God says, Objection overruled. He says, Didn't I not tell you I will be with you? The same power that I've demonstrated to you in secret, I will demonstrate to them in public that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God's saying, look, I'm going to be with you. And this is so key to our lives. God's called us to do something. He's called us to move. And we need to stand up and move. And here's the thing. We have to trust and believe that God's going to show up, that God's going to do exactly what he promised to do, that God's going to be there I think so often we're so afraid. We're kind of paralyzed in fear. God's challenged us to get up and to do something. He's challenged us to get up and to move. And we've got to have the faith, we've got to have the trust that God's going to be right there alongside of us. God says, objection overruled. Objection number three. And this is one that I feel like that we all face so often. He says, I'm not gifted enough to do this, God. He says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Exodus 4.10. He says, Look, I know what it's going to take to try to convince Pharaoh. I've lived in his house, and I don't have what it takes. I know the kind of men that come in and speak to him. I know the kind of counsel that he takes, and, and I don't have what it takes. And Moses says, I'm not good enough. It's probably the number one thing that holds us back. This belief 
that we don't have what it takes. Right? If you talk about wanting to share your faith, if I, if, I, if I pulled everybody in this room and I said, what's the number one thing that holds you back from, from talking to people about who Jesus is? Most people would say, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about God. I can't answer the questions that they have. We don't believe that we have what it takes to do what God has called us to do. God says, objection overruled, Moses. God says this in Exodus 4, 11 and 12. Who has made a man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You're still missing the point, he said. It has nothing to do with you or your strength or your ability. And it has everything to do with the strength and the ability of the person who is sending you. If God has called you to do it, if God is sending you to do it, he says, I'm going to equip you to do it. I'm going to give you the strength to do it. But we operate out of fear. Objection number four, this is the last one. He says, don't make me do this, God. This is kind of like his last ditch effort. Exodus chapter four, verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. I feel like this is Moses' kind of uh, toddler experience. I don't know how many of you have dealt with young kids or, or raised young kids, but there's a certain point in time when you want your kid to go somewhere or it's like maybe it's time to go to bed or something. And like for some reason, like a young kid who doesn't weigh that much becomes unmovable. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. They like drop down to the middle of the floor and they turn themselves into like a rock and they're just right there in the middle. It's like you can't move them. Or if you do pick them up and you're trying to walk them out of a room, you ever had them where they like grab onto anything that you're walking by? They're like clinging to the door frame, you know, and it's like uh, somehow they become unmovable. Moses is going, don't send me, don't send me anything. You know, he's having this moment where he's like, I there's got to be somebody better. There's got to be somebody else. There's got to be, and, and that's us. We always believe that there's going to be somebody else to do it. There's going to be somebody else to go. God can use somebody else. It's not me. It's not meant to be me. And God says, enough. Your objection is overruled, he said. He says, but such you, because you have such little faith, I will send your more eloquent brother Aaron with you, and I will be your mouth, and I will be his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do now get moving. Do you ever feel unqualified or unable to do what it is that God's calling you to do? Well, join the club. Because kingdom work is supernatural work. No matter what your calling is, it doesn't matter what it is that God's calling you to do. If it doesn't take real faith, it's probably not worth Doing. We have to have an utter dependence on God if we're going to be successful. And we need people in our lives who tell us we can. God is coming alongside of Moses and his message to Moses is, you can. And we need to surround ourselves with people who tell us that we can. When I was in high school, I ran track and cross country. And uh, my senior year, track was my favorite sport, and, uh, and I ran the 3200, and I did the high jump. Now, I, I ran the 3200 because I was okay at it, but I didn't love it, but I loved the high jump. And so as I was getting close to the end of my senior year, we would get into a 
stage of the season where um, we would begin to do uh, these invitationals and kind of like your end of the year stuff. And I was just, I, everything was focused on that. And so we were coming to this first big invitational and I was so pumped because I was just like, man, I want to do so well on the high jump. I think I have a chance to win this. And I don't know if you know anything about high jump, but you get three chances to clear each height. And so we were at the opening height, which is kind of just, that's just the beginner. You know, you're just, you're just kind of getting warmed up. But that night, I was off. Just for whatever reason, I didn't have it. And so attempt after attempt after attempt on the opening height, I miss all three. And I'm brokenhearted, and I'm embarrassed, and I'll, and I'll never forget. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday, walking out into the middle of the football field at the center of the track, and my coach is there, and he's walking towards me, and he says, what happened? What are you doing? And I said, I'm out. I'm done. And, and I'll never forget. He, he looked at me, and he says, hey, don't forget, you still have your race to run. And I didn't want to hear all that. I I didn't like the 3,200 much anyway. It's eight laps around the track. It's hard. And I, and I was just defeated. But we go, and, and, and the high jump's at the beginning of the night, and the, and the 3,200 is, is almost the last thing. And so I got this entire night to stew about what's happening. And so I find myself, and we're running this race, and we we're like six laps in, so we got like two laps to go. And, and I just kind of like wake up from a fog and I realize that I'm in second place, which is really good. I, I'm like, my night is turning around. I was like, this is going to make what was a miserable night bearable. I'm actually going to do okay in this. And I'm just kind of, I'm like, I'm going to cruise into second place. There's no way really behind me. The guy that's in front of me is like a half a lap in front of me. And, uh, and so I'm just, I'm satisfied. And I look over and my best friend at the time Patrick Lockwood, he, he's, he's screaming at the finish line with two laps to go and yelling at me to catch the guy that's in front of me. Now, this guy is so far out in front that it, like, there's no way. And, and so I just I pick up the pace a little bit because I want to appease him, you know, okay, whatever. And, and so I, I continue to run. Now I come across, and I've got one lap to go, and he's right there again, and he's screaming. This time he's pleading with me to catch the guy. He's telling me that I can catch this guy in front of me. This guy, I have made up no ground on this guy. This guy is so far out in front of me. But I start to run a little bit faster because, again, I, I want to, you know what I mean? Well, now I come to the point, if you're familiar with track, I've ran 100 meters. And so I'm at the 300-meter point, and my best friend is down on his knees. He's ran completely across the infield. He's ran farther than me. He's ran faster than me. And he's down on his knees, and he's begging me. He's screaming at me to catch this guy in front of me who is now almost to the final turn of the thing, and just something snaps, and I start to run with everything that I have, and when I, somewhere along this back straight stretch, I pass this kid, and I go across the finish line, there's this image of me in the, in the newspaper, kind of this iconic picture with my hands up in the air as I win this race, and I don't tell you this story about me, I had someone in my life that came into this space, and they told me that I can. In a time in my life where I believed that I couldn't, that changed me. I went on to have a lot of success running the 3200 the rest of the season. I won more races because I had somebody who came alongside of me who told me that I can. 
And I think that every one of us needs to surround ourselves with both the God of the universe and our friends and our family who can breathe into us the life that says, you know what? God's given you a call. God has gifted you to do something, and you can do it. We believe this lie so often that we can't. I want to take a moment. I just want to pray over you as we think about the idea that we can do what it is that God has called us to do. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And I thank you so much for this hope that we can. That we can do what it is that you've called us to do, God, because you are there with us. I am so thankful that you do not leave us, that you are there with us, that you are right there fighting alongside of us, God. Thank you for the hope and the belief and the faith that we can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you been arguing with God over your qualifications? Like Moses, feel like you're never going to accomplish what it is that God wants you to do because we make excuses, right? All these different things. All these different reasons why we can't. When God's standing there telling you that you can I want you to hear this passage of Scripture. Paul writes it to a church in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul has this to say. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one can boast before him. God chose us, and even in our weakness, and even in our failure, he says, you can, because he says, I am right there with you. Bottom line is this, most of us are missing out on amazing, life-changing opportunities because we bought into the lie that we can't, when all along, God is telling us that we can. And here's the truth. I didn't come up with this, but but I want it to, to be the thing that you walk away with more than anything. God does not call the qualified, but God qualifies the called. If God's put a dream on your heart, if God has put a a mission in your life, he doesn't call you to it unless he's going to qualify you for it. And so whatever it is that God wants you to accomplish, whatever it is that God wants you to do, know that God is going to gift you and give you the strength to be able to do it. My big fat mouth gets me in trouble with what I say. And one of the things that gets me in trouble is me believing the lie that I'm not good enough to do what it is that God has called me to do. It's time that I stop saying that I can't and I start believing that I can.